بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد الحمد لله continuing with our lesson lesson number four actually lesson number three was covered over two sessions so the last part of our discussion was about the contribution made by Sayyidina Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu anhu and the reasons why uh, there was such a dire need for the Qur'an to be compiled and uh, put in a book form as a means of preservation and protecting the Qur'an. So after the demise of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, after Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam passed away, there were various challenges there were people who turned renegade. Some refused to pay zakah. And uh, there were people who laid claim to nubuwa and prophethood. Amongst them was Musaylama al kadhab uh, against whom the army of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, in fact, the army of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fought in the Battle of Yamama, and which resulted in many hundreds of the Huffad and the scholars of the Qur'an being martyred. And Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anh, being amongst the initial scribes of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, did have this concern that it shouldn't be that uh, some part of the Qur'an or the people who have memorized the Qur'an is lost, and it would be difficult to collect everything to present to the future generations. This shows us that the concern of the Sahaba was always to ensure that there was something done to preserve deen for the next generation. It wasn't just myself, I'm doing my bit of ibadah and whatever I'm doing is sufficient. There was some concern that what can I leave behind for the next generation? And this is how Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu compilation in his time it was prepared. And we discussed the methodology that he used he appointed Sayyidina Zaid bin Thabit, who was the scribe in the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and then they allowed um, the Sahaba, Sayyidina Umar, and other Sahaba to sit at the door of the masjid and then uh, take, take down the, the verses of the Qur'an that were written in the company of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with the testimony of two people to, who testified that they were present when these verses were written. This is how the Qur'an was documented in its entirety. After <clears throat> Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu anhu, passed away, the, the copy of the Mus'haf in the Qur'an that was prepared by the Sahaba, um, it was kept with Amir al-Mu'mineen, Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab, and then Sayyidina Umar, after more than 10 years, he became shaheed, and his martyrdom has been mentioned in detail in Sahih al-Bukhari, uh, a hadith describes how he passed away. And uh, perhaps appropriately, just a few minutes, I'll tell you what the hadith states in Sahih al-Bukhari of Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anh. He was leading the Fajr salah, and there was a Persian slave whose name was Abu Lu'lu. Uh, he had uh, planned this particular assassination for a few days, and he kept his dagger soaked in, in poison for three days. And in Salatul Fajr, and obviously in those days, it was not well lit. Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anh, was uh, leading the salah, and when he went into ruku, Abu Lu'lu, he dashed forward, and he stabbed Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anh multiple times. Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anh, as he was falling, he, he 
pulled Abdul Rahman ibn Auf, one of the ten of the people blessed with Jannah, given the glad tidings of Jannah by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and he pulled him forward to complete the salah. So even in that state, the concern was that the salah shouldn't be affected, and he, he drags in Abdul Rahman ibn Auf. Some of the Sahaba noticed that something is happening, and eventually they tried to apprehend uh, Abu Lu'lu'. And he stabbed a few people who also passed away subsequently with Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu. But then one of the Sahaba threw his, his shawl over this individual and they, they finished him. Uh, after Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu regained his consciousness, the first question he asked, uh, according to this narration, was, Hal salla al-Muslimun al-Fajr? Did the Muslims complete their Fajr Salah? So they said, Naam ya Amir al-Mu'mineen. Oh, Amir al-Mu'mineen, yes, they finished their Fajr Salah. So he said, this is the foundation of, of deen. Whoever protects it, Allah will protect them and they will protect the whole of deen. And then he said, Man qatalani? Who is this person who had attacked me? So they said, Abdun Majusiyun yusamma Aba Lu'lu'a. It is a, a Persian slave, a fire worshiper, a Majusi, and he's known his, his name is Abu Lu'lu'. So Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu, while he was lying down, he turned into sujood. And he made shukr to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He said, Alhamdulillahi alladhi ja'ala masra'i ala yadi abdin kafir lam yasjud lillahi fi hayatihi sajdatan yahtajju biha alayya amam Allah. That all praise is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who has allowed me to be killed or to meet my end at the hands of a non-believing slave who has not made one sajda to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which he could use against me on the day of qiyamah. Ya Allah. Imagine how cautious he was to, to not offend another Muslim or to offend somebody who, who needs to be respected. Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu, he was glad that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed him to be oppressed by a person who doesn't have a case by Allah because he never made a sujood to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And uh, then he said to his son, Abdullah bin Umar, idhab ila ummil mu'minin Aisha wa kullaha, go to ummul mu'minin Aisha radiallahu anha and say to her that Umar... That Umar is asking permission to be buried next to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Say Umar and don't say Amirul Mu'mineen because I'm no longer Amirul Mu'mineen. So Abdullah bin Umar goes to Ummul Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha and she says, and he says to her, this is the request of Umar ibn al-Khattab and he wants to be buried next to his two friends, beloved friends, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and Sayyidina Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu anha. She said, you know, I always wished that my place be with my father and my husband. Because it in, it's in a house. Rasulullah sallallahu passed away in the house, house of Aisha radiallahu anha. And in fact, uh, there was just a partition between her and the grave of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And then a grave and uh, her and her part of the room in the grave of her father, Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. And she would go without hijab when she would visit the, their graves. Uh, on this particular mas'ala, the ulama do say it's permissible for a woman to visit a qabristan. It's permissible on condition, but there are conditions. That she is dressed in accordance with Sharia, number one. Number two, it shouldn't be a time when there's a lot of other men present. It should be safe. It shouldn't be intermingling. She shouldn't dress attractively in a way which is inappropriate. And she should be able to control herself when she is there because sometimes women can become emotional. So if this is the case and it is safe, then it is permissible for a woman to to be present at the Qabristan, and this is um, the view of the Hanafi Madhab as well as the, the Shafi'i Madhab. In fact, Rasulullah... 
No, no. That is obviously... Yeah. The point here is the permissibility of visiting. So Rasulullah once passed by a woman, we've heard the story perhaps, where she was sitting. I'm going off the topic. I, ask, I apologize for that. Okay. I apologize. Uh, so he passed by a lady. She was sitting by the grave of a child and she was weeping. And Rasulullah told her, make, make sabr, isbiri wahtasibi, and hope for reward from Allah. But she didn't recognize him at that time. So she said, what do you know? It's not your child. It's my child. I am going through the difficulty. The ulama say, at that time, Rasulullah didn't tell her, it's haram for you to sit by the grave of your child. You know, he, he understood her, the psyche and her, her, her state of, of her, her mind. And he continued. And she, she was told that this was Rasulullah and she went to apologize. And he told her, إِنَّمَا الصَّبْرُ عِنْدَ الصَّدْمَةِ الْأُولَى the true reward for sabr you get is at the time of the difficulty. So you need to control yourself and remain composed. In any case, Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu, he now, uh, because uh, Sayyidina Aisha radiallahu anha wanted to be buried uh, next to her husband and her father, but she said, I will give preference to Amirul Mu'minin over myself. This comes in Sahih al-Bukhari. So then uh, Abdullah bin Umar goes back to Sayyidina Umar and says, this is what... Uh, Sayyidina Aisha has replied and Sayyidina Umar radiallahu an, he said, okay, when I die, then you go to her one more time, just in case it was not out of uh, respect for the Amirul Mu'mineen that she gave permission, um, ask her for a second time. And after he passed away, they took his body in front of the door of Sayyidina Aisha radiallahu anha and she gave permission. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it such that the graves uh, were placed in, in, in Qibla, direction of Qibla was Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi and then thereafter, was the grave of Sayyidina Abu Bakr and the Sahaba maintain adab even in their death. Respect and etiquette. So they buried Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq in line with the shoulder of Rasulullah sallallahu not in line with his head. And then when Sayyidina Umar was buried, they maintained the adab of their rank and they buried him in line with the shoulder of Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu So in doing so, they still remain now another place for one more person. And Sayyidina Aisha radiallahu anha was then told, uh, would you want to be buried there? She said, no. Um, I have made up my mind that I do not want to be given preference over the Ummahatul Mu'mineen. If they will be buried in Jannatul Baqi, I want to be in Baqi. I don't want it to be said that people will say, oh, where's the wives of the Prophet Sallallahu Then they will say, no, Aisha is buried by him and the rest are buried in Jannatul Baqi. I want to be with the rest of the Ummahatul Mu'mineen. So they didn't have pride in the matters of the dunya as well as in what is coming after for the future as well. So after Sayyidina Umar radiallahu an uh, became shaheed, Sayyidina Uthman became the Khalifa, and then the Futuhat and the conquest and the spreading of Islam continued until we reach this point of our lesson, the compilation of Sayyidina Uthman. Why? What was the need? And what were the differences between this compilation and the compilation of Sayyidina Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu an? So the compilation of Sayyidina Uthman happened in the, the latter part of after the 25th year of Hijrah, after Hijrah. So Islam spread to the, all the parts of the world. In the Khilafah of Sayyidina Umar, an, we have the Jaziratul Arab, where Arabia is, uh, and into Egypt, into North Africa, was in the time of Sayyidina Umar, an, in fact, up into Syria and Iraq, into the time of Sayyidina Umar, an, and uh, after that, it moved into Turkey, and uh, which was known as Biladul Rum. In the Quran, when you say Biladul Rum, the Roman Empire, the, Turkey was part of the Byzantine Empire. 
Islam continued up to the point where you can see Azerbaijan. So the Sahaba anhum reached Azerbaijan, Armenia, and Georgia, that part of the doors of Europe. And this is where a Sahabi by the name of Sayyidina Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman radiallahu anh. Hudayfa ibn Yaman, he was the secret, secret bearer of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In other words, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa would tell him certain secrets about who's the munafiqeen, who are the people that are not, they are pretending to be Muslim. And this is why Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anh, at the time of a janazah after Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he would look first and see is Hudayfa there or not. He said, if Hudayfa is there, then I know it's a, it's a, it's a mu'min. But if uh, Hudayfa is not there, then I, w- I would abstain and stay away. And at one time he went, he said, oh, uh, Hudayfa, tell me, is my name amongst the, Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anh, the one that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said, if there were to be a Nabi after me, it would be Umar ibn al-Khattab. He said, tell me, is, is my name amongst the munafiqeen? So he said, I cannot uh, divulge the secrets of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He says, um, and eventually he just indicated to him that his name is not in the list without telling him explicitly. So Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman radiallahu anh, he observed some differences in the recitation of the Qur'an in his expedition to Azerbaijan and Armenia. See how far it was. And this was in his old age. Sayyidina Hudayfa wasn't a young man. They went far and wide with the intention of spreading the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whatever they had, they made an effort to see what they could do to spread the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what was it that he observed? You see... As we discussed previously, in the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, there were multiple accents and methods of, of reciting. Now, Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anh, in his khilafah, some sahaba went to Iraq, some went to Syria in Damascus, some were in Egypt. And whatever methodology of reading they had, they would teach their students. But what had happened was, as Islam was now moving, the frontier was, was expanding and they were moving towards Europe, groups from Syria, groups from Egypt would all come to support the advance of the presentation of Islam to the, that part of the world. But as they're interacting with one another, one hears the other one reciting, and he's reciting a bit different. He says, hey, you're reading wrong. He says, no, I'm not reading wrong. I learned from... He says, no, 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 this is wrong. We learn this way. So people start condemning one another over things which they don't have expertise. And this is a lesson that we have to learn nowadays, that when we have a field of, ex- of speciality, if we have a field of specialization, then we should leave it to the specialists of that field. If there's something which has got to do with a particular business product, then a Maulana shouldn't get involved. He should leave it for the specialist. If it's something which is medic- medical, then a religious scholar shouldn't get involved because this is why, in fact, the, the ulama of the past, the methodology was this, that somebody who is a jurist, he doesn't have to become a doctor. Somebody who's a jurist doesn't have to become a scientist. When a masala arises, then he'll consult with a reliable doctor and he'll say, okay, this is... Uh, the, uh, what is the, uh, the procedure of this particular condition or how is it treated what type of ingredients are used and then he'll hear the expertise of the expert in that field and then apply it according to the essential rules of, of Sharia nowadays uh, sometimes people expect the Maulana to be he must be a biologist also a scientist also he must know everything he must be a, um, a social worker and he must know everything the actual scholars of those days were grounded in the Sharia fields of knowledge uh, in jurisprudence and all the related sciences of ulum al-Qur'an and then when something came about and the famous story of the, the Sheikh al-Azhar in Egypt uh, in the time of Napoleon because you know Napoleon spent nearly a year in Egypt and many say that he, he studied the strategy of Sayyidina Umar radiallahu an of how they conquered Egypt because Egypt was one of the most difficult places to conquer especially with the Coptic uh, uh, community there they were very strong 
So anyway, the, they, they say that this um, uh, Napoleon Bonaparte, uh, of the leader of the French army, uh, he came to the Sheikh Al-Azhar. That's what I heard from Azhari Alim. It's, it's a famous story in Al-Azhar. And he said that you people claim that, that you have the answer for everything in the Quran. Okay? So I'm going to ask you a question and I need the answer from the Quran. So he said, okay. And the scholars of those days, if somebody asked them a question, they would not give the answer immediately. They say, okay, we'll get back to you. Now, it wasn't the time of instant answers, you know, instant messaging, instant everything. So they, he said to him, okay, I need to know how many, how many kilos of flour do you, do you need to make three loaves of bread that they sell here in, in Cairo? And I want the answer from the Quran. So they said the Quran wasn't revealed to tell us the ingredients of, of our, 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 our diets and uh, our food stuff. In any case, he said, all right, come back tomorrow and I'll, I'll see what I can do to answer your question. So when he comes back the next day, the sheikh is waiting for him. He says, okay, you need like two and a half kilos. Just for example, obviously, uh, I don't know what the measurement is. But he gave him the correct measurement. He says, for three loaves of bread, the bread this is how much flour you would require uh, to, to bake that type of bread. So he said, show me in the Quran, where does it come? So he said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ Ask the people who specialize when you do not know. Ask the people who have expertise in a particular field when you do not know. So I went to the baker and I told him, listen, I need to know how much flour you use to bake three loaves of bread. And he told me, and there's your answer from the Quran. In any case, so these differences, they now developed amongst the, 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 the new generation of, of people who are not grounded like the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. And many times, the ones who are not grounded, they are the ones that condemn the most. They are the ones that criticize the most. They are the ones that run down the seniors the most. They don't listen to the seniors. And it's something we find today as well. In a gathering where there are senior scholars, you'll find generally they're quiet. Because every scholar is afraid to make a mistake and utter something which is wrong. And when everybody is shallow, then everybody is giving their opinion. You know, I think this also comes in a hadith. I think this also, I, know, I heard this and I heard this. And everybody gives his opinion without any real qualifications. So we, don't, we wouldn't allow this uh, if one of our family members required a very intricate operation and now you have a few chaps that's just studying medicine for the first or second and they, they're going to handle the whole thing and everybody's giving their opinion. I don't think any sane person would be willing to uh, put our lives at risk in that way. So Sayyidina Hudayfa radiallahu anhum, he noticed this. And he was senior. The senior people always notice that in which direction the, the community is moving. So as senior people, generally as adults, if you look at the community, you can, you can see in which direction it is moving. And Sayyidina Hudayfa was concerned. He said, if this is the way that they are going, then very soon they're going to start calling one another kafir because one is reading a little different to the other. So the people of Sham, which is the Levant, Syria, Jordan, Palestine, they used to read in the Qira'ah of Sayyidina Ubay bin Ka'ab. Ubay bin Ka'ab was one of the senior Qurra of the Sahaba. While the people of Iraq used to read the Qira'ah of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud was also a senior Sahabi of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, that person who wants to hear the Qur'an the way it was read by Jibreel should learn from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. And Ubay ibn Ka'ab, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam recited the Qur'an to him and said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has instructed me to read to you. So he said, did Allah take my name? He said, Allah, Samani, did Allah take my name? Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, yes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned your name. And he began to weep because of the, how happy he felt at the honor of being, being, uh, his name being mentioned by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So 
obviously the variant readings were like accents and it was taught by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. There was no need for anybody to call anybody incorrect or say they were reciting incorrectly. But this in the next generation resulted in, in some confusion amongst the youngsters. So uh, Sayyidina <coughs> Hudayfa radiallahu presented this uh, situation to Sayyidina Uthman when he returned to Medina Munawara. This happened after 20, the 25th year after Hijrah. So the scholars differ either 26 between before the 30th year after Hijrah. Uh, he came to Sayyidina Uthman and said, this is what is happening. Because what had also happened was, as people were making their own copies of the Mus'haf, somebody would write something in the margin to, to, to remind himself of the meaning of a word, perhaps. Or write some, some commentary notes which was given to him by the Sahabi who taught it to him. But now his son is reading that thinking that that's part of the verse. And now another person here, he said, but that's not part of the verse. He said, no, that's how I learned it. And eventually confusion developed in this way. And this was one of the concerns of Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu also in his time. Uh, in fact, before Sayyidina Uthman, obviously, when he heard that Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu was, was also teaching in uh, uh, some of his students in a dialect of the Banu Hudayl, which was different to that of the Quraysh. So Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu said to him, that in the Quran Quraysh, the Quran has been revealed in the dialect of the Quraysh. So teach the people in that it is easier for them to avoid any confusion. La bilugati hudayl. So Sayyidina Hudayfa radiallahu an, he goes to Sayyidina Uthman, and now Sayyidina Uthman understands the seriousness of this and the potential uh, dispute it could result in in future, because especially if the lands of Islam have grown and you don't have control over the situation, it could. Uh, lead to major problems. So there are two views with regards to how Sayyidina Uthman radiallahu an um, prepared the manuscripts of the Quran. The one view is uh, a master copy was made based on that which was prepared by Sayyidina Abu Bakr radiallahu an, which was in the possession of the daughter of Sayyidina Umar, the wife of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Hafsa radiallahu anha. So that original uh, co compilation of the Qur'an prepared by Sayyidina Abu Bakr was now, the first view is that Sayyidina Uthman radiallahu used that as the primary source to prepare the duplicate copies of the masahif, the copies of the Qur'an to be sent to the various uh, cities of Islam at that time. However, there is a second view which is um, more academically sound and, and proven, and that was that Sayyidina Uthman radiallahu he did use the compiled version of Sayyidina, the compiled copy of Sayyidina Uthman, Sayyidina Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu anhu, but he kept it after, to, to, to verify after he has prepared. So what they did was, um, Sayyidina Zaid bin Thabit, who was the first scribe in the time of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, he was now again appointed with a task, and Sayyidina Uthman set up a committee of 12 people. And Ibn Sirin, the great uh, scholar, of the second century, he says, Inna Uthman jama'a ithnay ashara rajulan. He made a committee of 12, 12 men, bin Quraysh wal Ansar, from the people of Mecca and Medina of the Ansar. Fihim Ubayy ibn Ka'ab wa Zayd ibn Thabit, fi jam'il Quran. Amongst them was Zayd ibn Thabit, the main scribe, and Ubayy ibn Ka'ab, who's the qari of this ummah. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Aqra'uhum Ubayy ibn Ka'ab. The biggest qari in my ummah is Ubayy ibn Ka'ab. So Ubayy ibn Ka'ab, and then the scholars Ibn Hajar has mentioned. Abdullah ibn Umar, the son of Abdul ibn al-Khattab, Abdullah ibn Abdul ibn al-As, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Abbas, Abdul Rahman ibn Hisham, Abdullah ibn Zubair. So all senior sahaba, 12 of them, this was the committee 
So it showed that the Sahaba worked systematically. They had tartib. It wasn't haphazard. We're just going to let's try it and see what we can do. You know, just make some effort and we'll just do. Not like that. The Sahaba had a system. And the, the first was also a system because Sayyidina Umar, Sayyidina Zaid would sit at the door. They would come check the verses if somebody had it and invade your witnesses. What they did now was, although they had the Quran prepared, it was secure. But the first time when the Quran was, was prepared, some of the Sahaba were still out fighting against Musaylama. Some were coming back. Sayyidina Umar came back and they, they started making the effort in the preservation of the Quran. Some were in other frontiers and they were unable to participate in this beautiful Mubarak activity of, of protecting the Quran. So Sayyidina Uthman radiallahu made the announcement again that if there are any of those people who are still left with the manuscripts that they had in the time of Rasulullah sallallahu bring it again and we will use that to document the Quran. So you have also now participated in this beautiful exercise of the preservation of the Quran. So many of them came and um, there was uh, one uh, one particular verse, Sayyidina Uthman said that we, we didn't find this verse and, um, and this is one of the points Orientalists object on. They say, you see, he didn't find the verse. Sayyidina Uthman was trying to compile the Quran but one verse is missing and then he found it by uh, a Sahabi by the name of Khuzayma bin Thabit al-Ansari. He said, we found the verse by Khuzayma bin Thabit and some narrations say Abu Khuzayma. So, um, so how the, how, in other words, that they were not sure about whether that verse, that verse could have been lost, which means they, potentially there could have been other verses that were lost. But in reality, that's not the case. The, the, what he was saying was, in the second exercise of getting everybody to participate, while the Quran is already, it's already been documented, the copy of Sayyidina, Umar, Sayyidina Abu Bakr al-Siddiq is in front of them, they have it with them, but they wanted people to participate. And amongst those who had survived, this particular verse was still in the possession of this one particular Sahabi. Not that any verses of the Quran were lost because these 12 in the committee of Sahaba radiallahu anhum, they were all of the Hufad of the Quran. They had memorized the entire Quran in the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So therefore, uh, now it was just a, it was a matter of, of letting people participate and then they can see that, okay, you presented this and now we're putting it in this copy. Afterwards, they took the, the copy of Sayyidina Abu Bakr al-Siddiq and these copies that were prepared by Sayyidina Uthman radiallahu they were recited in front of all the Sahaba while Sayyidina Uthman is present. This is how much importance they gave, you know, to the preservation of the Quran. So Sayyidina Uthman is sitting, Amirul Mu'minin, these 12 Sahaba are sitting and as the copies are prepared of the, of the Mus'haf, after it is verified and checked, it's now recited. And the script is explained how they wrote the words to such an extent that if there was any uncertainty while they were writing how, how should we write a word or a person has presented from his personal copy and the word is written in this way. So they would take it to the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. So there's an incident mentioned uh, from the, the, the person who is narrating it is the, the freed slave of Sayyidina Uthman. And in those days, the freed slaves were generally the biggest scholars. The Sahaba, when they had slaves and they freed them, they tend to be the, 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 the mightiest of the scholars of the, of the past. So, Hani al-Barbari, Mawla Uthman, qala kuntu inda Uthman. I was sitting with Sayyidina Uthman. Wa al-Masahif. And this committee was sitting and the Qur'ans were being presented to them, being recited in front of them. Because there were multiple copies made and sent to the various major cities of the Darul Islam at that time, uh, one was in Mecca, one copy was sent to Medina, was kept in Medina Munawwara, one was in Kufa, one was in Basra, 
and one was in Dimashq, Damascus. And there are some narrations which say that there was a copy that was sent to Yemen and one to Bahrain. In fact, uh, if you look at some of the manuscripts that seem to have surfaced some copies of it, there's a Sana'a manuscripts which have also emerged from, from Yemen in the last century. So it's possible that uh, it could have been from there or some other uh, uh, copies of the Mus'haf which was taken from there. So he says, Hani, he says, Sayyidina Uthman was sitting and uh, these masahif were being presented to him. فَأَرْسَلَنِي So somebody came with some verse that they had prepared on the shoulder of, a, of, of an animal. شَاتٍ So on the shoulder bone, there were some verses written and the person wrote it in a particular way. But the word was written, لَمْ يَتَسَنَّ So the Hufaz would know the word in the Quran is actually لَمْ يَتَسَنَّ ha in the end. But on the, on the bone that this person had presented now to Sayyidina Uthman radiallahu anhu, the word was written, لَمْ يَتَسَنَّ And there was another verse, لَا تَبْدِيلَ لِخَلْقِ اللَّهِ He had written, لَا تَبْدِيلَ لِلْخَلْقِ So the person had written on the bone, لَا تَبْدِيلَ لِلْخَلْقِ And the last word which he presented was a verse which we know is in وَالسَّمَاءِ وَالطَّارِقِ فَمَهِّلِ الْكَافِرِينَ أَمْهِلْهُمْ رُوَيْدًا So the word فَمَهِّل was written فَأَمْهِل which both means the same thing but it's a different uh, uh, verb which is used so Sayyidina Uthman sent Hani, his slave to Sayyidina Ubay bin Ka'b and said somebody presented this is this the correct script so Sayyidina, uh, uh, Sayyidina Zaid bin Thabit so it was sent to Ubay bin Ka'b. He was also amongst the, on the, on the committee. So Sayyidina Ubay looked at these words and then he wrote, He sent for some ink and a pen and he deleted one of the two lambs in La Tabadila Lil Khalq. So La Tabadila Lil Khalq, the verse is actually La Tabadila Li Khalq, not Lil. There's no two lambs, only one lamb. So where there was a mistake, he had removed the, the one lamb and the, the word فَمَهِّلِ الْكَافِرِينَ which was written فَأَمْهِلْ he stuck out the alif or the hamza which was written there and لَمْ uh, he added the ha to show them that this is exactly how we wrote it in the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So even those people who came to participate in the second compilation, they were also, they were also told, okay, this is, this is your personal copy but in actual fact, if you look in Abu Bakr Siddiq's copy and if you see how we wrote it in front of Rasulullah sallallahu this needed to be written differently. Then, Then all these copies were, were recited uh, to the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. So all the Sahaba present in front of Sayyidina Uthman radiallahu anhu. And then <coughs> Sayyidina Uthman radiallahu anhu, he sent the copies to the various cities. But a very important point that, uh, that the Sahaba kept in mind was that the copies that were sent to the various cities were not only sent as copies for people to okay, use at their own discretion. Because bearing in mind that these copies didn't have any dots, you know, and they didn't have any Zabal Zair page, Fath Hadamma Kasra. So to identify the method of recitation would be very difficult. This is why he sent a teacher with every copy. So when people would come and say, how do we write this verse? He'll say, okay, write it this way, read it this way. This is how we learn it from Rasulullah. So it's linked directly to Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So then, once again, basically the differences between both of the compilations, we have Abu Bakr and Sayyidina Uthman, the two compilations. So the first, in Sayyidina Abu Bakr al-Siddiq's time, the fear of losing the Qur'an due to the death of the Huffad in Yamama 
also due to fear of losing what was written during the time of Rasulullah because many of the scholars were, uh, were being martyred. On the other side, we have the disputes over the different methods of recitation. Uh, to, so to preserve the Qur'an and also one of the, the reasons for the compilation was different to that of Sayyidina Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. And then to create a standardized version for the entire ummah. So we prepare the script of the Qur'an as it was written uh, in the time of Rasulullah sallallahu with the unanimous support of all the Sahaba who learned from Rasulullah and then present that to the ummah. So this was a dedicated effort by the Sahaba radiallahu anhum to preserve the Qur'an. It wasn't something haphazard that just happened by the way, okay, and it happened to turn out in a good way. But this was a dedicated effort by them. The second is that Sayyidina Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu anhu, the collection of what was written during the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and organizing the suwar and ayat. So just arranging whatever was revealed, whereas uh, Sayyidina Uthman radiallahu anhu, creating a master copy from the Mus'haf of Abu Bakr and sending it out to various cities. So he, he like amplified and magnified the efforts of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq and he now spread it to such an extent that there was not a city in which the, the copies of the Qur'an had not, had not reached. So this was amongst the, the, the great contributions of these great Sahaba عنهم, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose for this task. And it's easy to sit now and talk about how good the job is, but at that time when there were challenges and there were threats from the, from the Byzantine Empire, from the Romans, and there were people turning renegade, and there were all the challenges of running a Khilafah for the first time, they were exposed to new nations and new cultures. They're coming into contact in, in, in Iraq with a new civilization. They're coming into contact in Egypt with a new civilization, people who've got their own concepts of, of what a ilah, what a deity is. So they're coming into contact with all these challenges, how we need to present and protect our deen, and yet they came out, number one, the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praised Ibrahim alayhi salam, that he was tested and he passed the test, the sahaba radiallahu anhum truly, although they were not prophets, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them the highest rank in the sense that they secured the foundational text of the Qur'an for the generations to come till Qiyamah. Then, uh, this is something of interest if you want. You can check out islamicawareness.org for amazing research on ancient Quranic manuscripts. So that's, uh, it'll show you some manuscripts of the Masahif. If you can just remember that name, it's uh, islamicawareness.org. This is some of the, look at that script. We're so used to, you know, the Miasfam print and the, the Saudi prints, mashallah. And uh, you see the first word there. بأموالهم. Can you see? The other thing which the... In fact, this particular manuscript, although it's a Sana'a manuscript discovered in 1972, but I would doubt that it was uh, actually written amongst the first copies of the Mus'haf, perhaps because it's got some, if you can see, in the middle of the page there, there's uh, Wallahu Wasi'un Alim. And if you can see it there. Yeah. Okay, the letters look different. This is the Kufic Khat. Uh, it's, it's very beautiful. Uh, if you're into calligraphy, this is one of the difficult scripts to write. 
So, you can see there's like a sign of a verse there. There's like a few dots collectively to indicate the verse. Whereas, the copy of Sayyidina Uthman didn't have any of those. So, it would just be all one long verse. And this is why they would need a teacher. So, this was the methodology of the Sahaba. That if you want to learn Quran, you have to learn from somebody. You can't learn on your own. Somebody will have to tell you, okay, this is a verse here. And this is how you stop. This is how you start. And this is how the word is written. Um... I didn't get a chance to try to figure out which part of the Moana. Can you, my Zafar? Can you figure out which uh, surah this is? Allahu bima ta'amaluna basir. See, the first word on top is bi amwalihim. Okay, we'll have to take that as homework, inshallah. So, this is, one of the, this is an example of the Sana'a manuscript discovered in 1972, uh, estimated to be. From 578 and 669. So they, they've got these uh, machines in which they identify the age of the, the skin or the fabric or the paper on which it was written. And this is what they say is... In fact, we don't actually need this to know the Quran is authentic because we've got the methodology of, of reading and writing documented. In fact, when we teach the students qiraat in the madaris, in the Darul Ulum, one is the various modes of recitation, and there's a separate subject on the script of the Quran, how it's supposed to be written, how the words are to be written. So these are just, so you know, if somebody comes and says, okay, we found one in Birmingham, or we found another manuscript, and afterwards they say, no, no, it's actually dated prior to Rasulullah sallallahu If somebody hypothetically has to say something like that, that doesn't make any difference to us because our foundation of establishing the nature of the Qur'an has already been authenticated in every generation from the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We have the Birmingham manuscript, which is quite recent. And this was uh, found in uh, what is called the Mingana collection, comprising of over 3,000 documents. The, the amazing thing was that these people who are not even part of our deen they went out of their way to go to old sites and try to restore or save uh, documents or manuscripts which might have been of value. So in doing that, this collection, I mean Ghana collection, is actually comprises of 3,000 documents, not all Quran, of different subjects. Uh, some might be of jurisprudence, some might be of other things. And amongst them, this man, in fact, Alfonso Mingana, in the 1920s, he was, it was funded by Mr. Cadbury, the chocolate man. Okay, so he did a good contribution in two ways. <laughs> then it was rediscovered by this lady, Alba Fideli, if that's how you say her name, who was studying the Mingana. She found two pages of the Mus'haf in that collection. In all that that she was collecting, she stumbled upon these. You can see the, this is also, it would tell you it's a later copy of the Mus'haf. Because now you've got even the, 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 the border which separates one surah from the other. There's one surah finishing, and there's the next surah. See how beautiful the Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim is written. Oh, they, that's easy to make out. Who can tell me what's that verse, the second surah? Come. I don't have any chocolates to give here, but I think you'll deserve a chocolate if you can. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Mana, you don't say. Can anybody? I'll, I'll tell you. <laughs> the line ends and then alayka al-Quran. See, Quran doesn't have two dots at all. There's no dots. 
إلا تذكرة لمن يخشى. So this is, and you can see what they also did was in the later times, they used like the, the red dots on, if it was a red dot on top of a letter, it would indicate a fatha or a zabar. If it was below, it was a kasa. The dots would identify. There wouldn't be dots on the letters. So for them, it was easy to read the way we can speak or read our language without, uh, without vowels. So which means the last, before this would be the verses of Surah Maryam. And this is the most famous, the top copy manuscripts, which has still the traces of blood of Sayyidina Uthman عن, on those pages which are open. The end of the first juz, when he was martyred, uh, his blood uh, oozed onto the pages of the, the copy that he was reciting. And the meaning of that verse is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sufficient for them. Allah will be sufficient for them. And he was martyred mercilessly, the Khalifa al-Mazlum, the oppressed Khalifa of Islam, the beloved son-in-law of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So this, uh, there you can see that copy doesn't have any verses, it doesn't have any dots. This is the closest you will get to the original um, manuscripts of the, the Sahaba's compilation. Samarqand, uh, which is in Uzbekistan, they've also got some manuscripts. It's difficult to, uh, to decipher what is written there, but this would be very similar to what was written in those days because in the compilation of Sayyidina Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, it was written like this, very large pages and uh, minimal verses on each page. And you can see, that's why it's such a huge pile of pages just for the copy of the, of the Mus'haf. And uh, the last part, we will conclude how the Ummah preserves the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna nahnu nazzalna dhikra, indeed, uh, it is we who send down the Qur'an, and indeed, uh, we will be its guardian. Hafidhun, hafidhun, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, he is the hafiz of the Qur'an. So when a child becomes a hafiz, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is honoring him with a title, from, the, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he, is, he has been entrusted with a duty that Allah wants him to do to protect and safeguard the Quran and they say that we say that in Arabic somebody told uh, Sayyidina Ibn Sirin that this child hafiz al-Quran that this child has protected memorized the Quran he said Quran and the, so he replied beautifully he said the Quran will protect him he said this, this child is protecting the Quran and the Quran will protect him so if we also Make the intention of, I always say, make the intention of becoming hafiz. Even if we are old and senior in age, there's nothing stopping us. Make the intention, even if we don't get the chance to complete. But on the day of Qiyamah, inshallah, we will be resurrected with those who are hafad and with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Just some pictures here. I just blotted out the, the faces because we're in a masjid especially. This is a picture of some youngsters in Ta'if. There's a madrasa in Ta'if where children memorize the Quran, but they are dumb. So they recite the Quran with sign language. So they do the entire tahfidh of the Qur'an with the, sign, with the sign language, okay? And the Ustad rectifies them also with signs. Allah shows us how independent He is. He doesn't need us, you know? He's got children who have this difficulty. But they're sitting and they're memorizing. They've got a mushaf in front of them, and for each letter there's a particular sign. That's how they, they would memorize their lesson. Qur'an being memorized by deaf and mute students in Ta'if, the place where Rasulullah was stoned. And here we have blind in outside Marysburg, there's a madrasa to Noor Lil Makfufin. Mawana Hassan Marchi, mashallah, has got a beautiful institute there for blind students. If you ever go into Durban, even for holiday, okay, what's that place's name? Yeah, it's before how we get, uh, it's got a strange name. No, 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 Mountain Rise is Marysburg. This is, uh, uh, 
Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad. You can actually see it from the highways on the left hand side, you'll see them with us. If I remember the name, I'll tell the brothers, inshallah. But it's something to see. I went once with my Ustad, Qari Huzaifa's father, Qari Ayyub, we went, and uh, they, they're doing Bukhari, they're doing Muslim, all was Braille. And the, the beauty of Braille is you can read it, you know, with, in any direction. So one hand is to, to locate the line, and the other hand locates the, the words. But they can do it, they can face the book to you and, and read. Uh, you know, while the book is facing you or it can be facing them. And Allah has given them amazing qualities. They memorize the Quran and their memorizing of the Quran is better than the, the able children because they don't have anything contaminating their minds. Their hearts are clean. You know, so whenever they learn, it's, it stays there. And uh, another amazing thing I'll just share with you, not, it's off the topic, they play good cricket. I don't know if you've ever seen blind people playing cricket. Yeah, they, 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 so they showed us how they play. They use a ball with, with bells. And you have semi-blind and completely blind people playing. The semi-blind ones will be in between two blind ones to avoid any collision. And they play the, the games of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He gives, he strengthens other faculties of people when certain things, when we, we suffer a loss in some way, Allah gives us something better in and some other part. And we have the Quran being taught to blind students using Braille. This is one of the old methodologies. I've seen this myself in places like uh, in Northern Kenya, Ethiopia, uh, Somalia. They call it the loh. It is the wooden tablet. Here, this methodology of hifz is very difficult. I think Mawazafar would get a heart attack if you have to, because you read the lesson to the student, and he must write his sabak himself. The student must write his own lesson. Then he reads it to you tomorrow, but he doesn't have page 2 and page 3, so he's got to clean the tablet, and he mustn't forget, because <laughs> once he's removed it, then it's no longer there. It must be inside. And that's how they memorize the whole Quran. So they say, your children are spoiled. You've got like copies of the whole Quran. Number one is you're not able to write. So our children don't know how to write the Mus'haf. So they have the ability. This is a common thing in Africa, mashallah. And uh, you can see how beautiful the script of this child is. This is the handwriting of a child. Iqra' bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq. On a lawah. In Darlum Zakaria, we've got a small museum. We've got some copies of, uh, of this uh, wooden slates that they use. This is in Mauritania, West Africa, in Somalia, in some, I don't know, in Malawi they use the Sheikh Khalid, they, they use the loh, the wood, some, mashallah. Sheikh Khalid, he says that the, his father and him would use that, mashallah. A lot of barakah in that. And then we have the good uh, ni'mah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of Hifz madrasas all around the world. Um, there's no time, there's some amazing incidents, we're out of time, of uh, Imam al-Shatibi um, and uh, the condition of the Muslims in the Soviet regime. Inshallah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq uh, to appreciate the amount of effort that went into the preservation of the Quran.